What a great, great message. What a great message. I tell you what, it all depends on what you focus on. If you're going to focus on your problems, you're going to be depressed. You're going to have no hope. But if you focus on the problem solver, Jesus Christ, he gives you hope. And when you and I are reminded, we all have bad days. And when you're reminded that who you are as a child of God through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, man, every day is a good day. You can have all the stuff the world says you need to have, money, power, prestige, your perfect job, you can get, you know, whatever. If you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, really, you don't have nothing. You probably still can't sleep at night. But you don't, if you don't have a whole lot of stuff the world says you need to have, but you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have everything. You have forgiveness, you have peace, you have purpose, you have heaven as your eternal home. And that gives you hope. That gives you hope because we need hope. Man, we just need hope. Sometimes we can become so emotionally, spiritually numb. Even, even those of us who come to church on a regular basis, you watch all the stuff that's happening on social media, you just hear all the rumors and wars going on around the country, even churches and pastors fighting with each other, you can become very numb. You can be very numb. The, the hurts of life can be so sharp. The hurts of life can be so relentless that, man, we just lose our, our feelings short circuit. And to protect ourselves, we go numb. And we have no feelings. We don't care. I know maybe some of you even here today are spiritually numb because so-called Christians in your past have disappointed you or because of all the pettiness and hypocrisy in the church that you've seen and you've just grown spiritually calloused. Some of you have gone through a season of hardship and you wonder why does God allow these things to happen to you? You're trying to do the right thing, you're a good person and you concluded that God's not there and they don't care about you and so you don't care either and so you shut him off and you've lost all hope. Today, in the passage of Scripture we're looking at, as we've been studying through the book of Luke, we're going to see some people who lost hope, but then they met Jesus Christ, and their lives were changed forever. Their lives were changed forever. We've been in a journey through the Gospel of Luke, and we saw in chapters 1 and 2 why Luke wrote this letter, to show that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, that he's certain and true. Chapter 3, we saw who Jesus really is. He's the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us. We saw in chapter four what Jesus came to do. He came to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news, the gospel, because of our faith and trust in him as our Lord and Savior, we can be reconciled, made right with God. We become his children. He has a plan and a purpose for our life. We're forgiven and we have heaven as our home and we have a new beginning. We were in chapter five last week and we saw how, how Jesus does that and how he changes lives and how he works through his disciples. Last week, chapter five, we saw the calling of Jesus' first disciple. And that word disciple means learner, student, follower of Jesus Christ. And so the last verse we looked at last week was verse, chapter five, verse 11. Jesus said to Simon, which is also Peter, Simon, Jesus changed his name to Peter, don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And they became fishers of men. That's what we saw. And so now, chapter 12 on, I mean, uh, chapter 5, verse 12 on, we're going to see Jesus Christ give his disciples their first fishing lesson. And what I want you to see, I want you to see the heart, the compassion, the example, the authority of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see his message of hope, because so many people need hope. 
when we meet Jesus Christ, our lives are changed. And then we can start to learn what it means to have hope even when the situation seems hopeless. We're also gonna see in this passage today, Jesus Christ, how he taught his disciples how to fish. How to fish for people in hopeless situations. Right, we're disciples, we're followers as believers in Jesus Christ, we're disciples, we're followers of Christ, we're learners of Christ, we're students of Christ. So that means we follow him, that means we love the people he loved, we serve the people he served, and we do the things that he did. That's what I want to look at. So we're gonna look at the rest of this chapter. We're just gonna read the, the first man with leprosy, but there's also, we're gonna meet a man that's paralyzed. We're also gonna meet a man who was despised and rejected and was an outcast and how Jesus Christ changed every one of them. So if you're able, would you please stand with me out of reverence and honor for God's holy word. We finished verse 11 last week, pick it up at verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You may be seated. Keep your Bible open. We're going to look at the whole chat, rest of that chapter. But love that, that last verse we just read, verse 16. We see this often in the life of Christ. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man, needed time alone to pray to his Father, man, you know you and I do. So important that we find that moment, those times where we spend time and we pray and we talk to God from our heart and we let God talk to us. Are you ready for something new? We see who Jesus came for, first, first lesson, first fishing lesson. Jesus came for the rejected, and we see that here in the leper. Just read those verses. Leprosy is a dreaded disease. Body parts become numb. They're very contagious. Anytime they got near anybody, they had to scream out the word unclean. They were rejected. They were feared. They were shunned. They were expected to live out of town, away from all their loved ones. They were very isolated. And we see Jesus using this man to teach his disciples their first fishing lesson. And if you want to catch men and boys and girls, for Jesus Christ, you've got to first show Christian love. That, that's the first principle, show Christian love. Verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Jesus is showing his disciples that if they want to catch people, they've got to first love people. They've got to reach out and touch them. You've got to look past their scars, their wounds, they're rotting flesh, and you got to love them. Find out what they need, and then meet that need. And this man needed to be touched, so Jesus touched him. I'm sure it's been years since he's ever been touched by anybody in his life. And, and look at the man's great faith. He said, Lord. He knew who Jesus was. Lord, leader, CEO, boss, leader. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He knew Jesus. He had faith in who he was and what he could do. He knew that when Jesus Christ is present, even hopeless situations are not hopeless. 
Now this leper, he knew two things that were the starting point for anybody who's looking for hope. First, he recognized that he had a problem. He had a problem that he could not fix. And he stopped blaming everybody and their brother for his situation. It don't matter how it happened, but you're in this situation now. And you got to recognize you got a problem and you cannot fix it. And the second thing he did, he turned to the problem solver, Jesus Christ. He stopped focusing on the problem and started focusing on the problem solver. And then Jesus touched the untouchable to convey the love of God to that one who felt rejected and abandoned. When you think about it, Jesus literally entered into his world when nobody else would. When Jesus came as a babe in the manger there in Bethlehem, he entered our world. He reached out to touch us, to change our life. Maybe here today you're feeling a little isolated. Maybe you're feeling rejected. You feel like you're in a hopeless situation. Financial, health, emotional, relational, spiritual, and you think you're too far gone. But nothing is hopeless when Jesus is in the neighborhood. Nothing is hopeless. Don't give up on him. He's not giving up on you. Do what the leper did. If you want to be touched by Jesus, you got to first acknowledge that you got a problem and you can't fix this thing. And then focus on Jesus. Turn to him. Focus on him, not the problem. He loves you. There's nothing he cannot do. And keep faith in him. Keep trusting in him. Keep doing what you know to do now, but trust in God to do something greater. And, and there's so many lessons to, to be learned here. I, I mean, I see another one. True, when you truly love people and you're trying to reach them for Christ, it means you got to look past what you see on the surface. When most people see, they saw an unclean leper, Jesus saw a man that had great faith. He saw a rejected person, an isolated person who needed somebody to reach out and touch them. And if we call ourselves disciples, students, followers of Christ, and we're going to follow in his footsteps, then we must be willing to love those who the world rejects and discards. This church must be a place where anybody and everyone is welcome. Church, we must be those who look past the labels, who look past the stories, who look past the outward appearances and see hurting people who need to be introduced to a loving Savior. And if we do this, you know what's going to happen? God can use us to bring feeling and life back to those who thought life was hopeless. And you know what else God will do? God will change us. God will change us in the process. He'll soften our heart. He'll help us have compassion and see people the way he does. He'll replace our spiritual numbness. Let's be honest, some of you are spiritually numb. You lost the feelings. You don't even want to be here today. You feel nothing. You start having compassion for people and reaching out and loving people and helping point them to Christ. He'll replace your spiritual numbness with new life, a new vitality, a new passion. And he'll use you to show others that things are never hopeless when Jesus Christ is in the neighborhood. So Jesus came for the rejected. First fishing lesson is show Christian love. He also came for the helpless. And we see a man who is paralyzed in verses 18. Through 26, some men were carrying a paralytic on a mat. They tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. You read the next verses? The religious leaders, they got mad. Who can forgive sin but God? 
Then Jesus knows that they said that, heard that, goes on to say, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So now we see Jesus coming for the helpless, a paralyzed man. And his friends realized that he needed Jesus. They believed, they had faith that Jesus could heal their friend. And so we see they went to great lengths to make sure that their helpless friend, paralyzed friend, meets Jesus. Second fishing lesson here. Do whatever it takes to bring them to Jesus. Do whatever it takes to bring them to Jesus. Loving our friends. If you love your friends, you're going to bring them to Jesus. You can't force them, and you shouldn't force them, and you shouldn't judge them, and you shouldn't pressure them to accept Christ. You share the story of Christ with them. You love them enough to tell them the truth and share the story, and even share your story, how Christ has changed your life. Friends. We see these friends who brought a paralyzed, helpless man to Jesus. You know, friends, they're either going to carry you to Jesus or they're going to carry you away from Jesus. They're either going to help you draw closer to Christ or they're going to draw you further away from Christ. And if they're drawing you further away from Christ, they're not your friends. What do your friends do in your life? Do they encourage you to be more like Christ or not? What kind of friend are you? Do you encourage your friends to be more like Christ by how you live? When Jesus was there that day, he, he saw so many things, but he, I know he saw three things that day. First, he saw the crowd in the house. It was so crowded, the guys couldn't get in. That's why they went on the roof. So he saw the crowd in the house. That crowd was very mixed. Some believed in him. Some did not believe in him. Some were coming to seek a miracle. Some were just searching. They didn't know what they were looking for. Some were trying to get him in trouble, catch him in a trap. The crowd was mixed. Who are you in the crowd here today? Whatever reason you came today, I'm just glad you're here. And if you let God her speak to your heart, and Jesus wants to speak to your heart, I know it. He saw that crowd that day, but he also saw the crew on the roof, the crew on the roof. He saw people who were bringing people to Jesus, and they were willing to do whatever it took because they realized that people were more important to God than anything else. It didn't matter if their friend was paralyzed physically, emotionally, socially, or spiritually, they were going to bring him to Jesus. And church, and when I say church, I don't mean building. I don't mean denomination. The word church means called out ones, called out of sin, and called to follow Christ. I'm talking to Christians. When we say the church, that's the work of the church. We are supposed to be the crew on the roof, bringing people to Jesus Christ. Isn't that what somebody did to you? They helped pick you up, wherever, whatever you're going through, and bring you to Jesus. I, I love these guys, how they didn't care about their reputation. They didn't care about how much it was going to cost them to rip up that roof. They simply loved their friend enough to put themselves on the line. So Jesus saw the crowd that was very mixed. He saw the crew on the roof, but also he saw the cripple on the floor. And here we see the results of what happens when you bring people to Jesus. This man found forgiveness and he found healing. What I love about Jesus, he knew that this cripple, his biggest problem was not physical, it was spiritual. That's why the first thing he said to this guy was, friend, your sins are forgiven. 
Because that was his biggest problem. That's my biggest problem. You might not know this, but that's your biggest problem. Is that you're a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God. You see, we were made by God and for God to have a relationship with God. But our sin messed everything up and we're all born in sin and we fall short of the glory of God. Sin has corrupted our hearts. It separated us from God. And because our sin has separated us from God, if we don't repent and believe in Christ, we will die in our sins and we will spend eternity in hell, separated from God forever. You say no to Jesus, you put him aside, you don't believe, you don't want to, you're putting him aside, you're, you're making a choice where you're gonna spend eternity and that's not with Jesus and that's in hell. Nothing in life compares to the importance of getting things right here. No relationship, no health, no money. Our biggest problem is that our sin, our unconfessed sin is gonna send us to hell. In a sense, we are all spiritually paralyzed. Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our sin. And a dead man can't do anything to save himself. That's why Jesus came. Our biggest problem is sin, and the answer to our biggest problem is Jesus. He's the son of God, the perfect sacrifice that died on the cross, paying our price for the sins, paying the penalty for our sin, which is death. But since he was the son of God, he rose from the dead. And the Bible says, if you and I repent of our sins and believe, and that word believe means trust in, rely upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the, the leader of our life, the forgiver of our sins, then we're forgiven. We're children of God, we're family, and heaven is our eternal home. That's why he said, man, he, he attacked his need, his first need. He needed to get things right with God. He said, your sins are forgiven. He saw his faith. Of course, the religious leaders got mad at that. So Jesus shows them his authority that he truly is the Messiah. And he said, okay, then I'll tell you what, then take your mat and get up and go home. And immediately a miracle happened. The man got up, took his mat and went home. It says they were filled with awe and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. Again, Jesus was showing he is who he said he is. He's got the power he said he is. Everywhere I go, I see people who are hurting, broken, helpless, so many burdens. And man, my prayer is that they, that they know Jesus and I, and I know they need Jesus because he takes those burdens away and he heals broken bodies and he heals broken hearts and broken dreams and he heals broken lives. That's why he brought some of you here today. You're not here by accident. He brought you here to hear and see what Jesus can do in your life. Now that day when those guys tore a hole through the roof and let their friend down, everybody left the house that day the religious leaders left mad, looking for another reason to get rid of Jesus somewhere else. And we're gonna see that even in chapter six. Others left just as they came. They said, hey, that was interesting. They, they left just as they came, unwilling to change, unwilling to put their faith and trust in Christ. I believe those four friends left looking for somebody else now to bring to Jesus. And one left changed forever. Man, he was forgiven, he was now Child of God, God healed him spiritually, emotionally, and physically. He left changed forever. How are you gonna leave church today? Are you gonna leave the same as you came in? No change? Because you've been shutting everything down. You don't want God to talk to you. You don't wanna hear what he's got to say. But what he's got to say is for your benefit. 
Or are you going to leave here never the same? Or are you going to leave here changed? Let's all decide, as Christians, let's all decide to be like the crew on the roof and leave here getting busy doing whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus. All right? Third fishing lesson, we see him, Jesus came for the despised. And we see the tax collector. We see Levi, which is also Jesus changed his name to Matthew. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. got to love Jesus. You got to love him. Jesus saw a tax collector, Matthew. Now get this, tax collectors had a terrible reputation. They cheated people on their taxes. As long as they gave Rome what Rome wanted, they could charge whatever else they wanted, and they did. They also collected taxes for Rome, which to the Jewish audience, Rome was their oppressors. That's who held them captive. So these tax collectors were despised by the people. And Jesus calls a despised tax collectors to become one of his disciples. And we see, just like Peter did, when Peter was called as a fisherman, he immediately leaves everything and he follows Jesus. People were looking at Matthew's sin. Jesus looked at his need. People were looking at Matthew's sickness. Jesus looked at the cure. And Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost And we see here, when he got saved, what did he do? He threw a party. You see, because when a person finds forgiveness and peace and purpose in Jesus Christ, this person naturally wanted to celebrate that. And so he organized a feast for his friends. He was a social outcast. So all his friends were social outcasts. That were his only friends, tax collectors and sinners. That was his circle of influence. And he wanted them to meet Jesus. And of course, Jesus went, and of course, he was criticized by who? The religious leaders of the day. Third fishing lesson, you, got, you need to go to them. If you're going to catch fish, you're going to catch people, boys and girls of Christ, you've got to go to them. You've got to go where the fish are. Matthew wanted his social outcasts to know what happened to him, that God has given him a second chance. He wants them to have that second chance also. Jesus saw what the man could become, and he showed him mercy and compassion. The Pharisees were blinded by their pride and their loss, and they could only see his sin, and they just kept condemning him. The Bible tells us as Jesus' ministry grew, so did his popularity among the social outcasts, the marginalized of society. But Jesus tells us something very important, shows us something very important here. Since Jesus came to reach the lost... He's got to have contact with the lost. We cannot reach people that we have no contact with. That's why we have so many different ministries to reach out to folks, to get them here in our property, to have godly people and teachers and leaders and coaches in their lives that can point them to Christ and disciple them. The Christian church has too often been afraid to engage the lost world of sinners outside the church while being complacent about the hypocrisy and unrepentant sin inside the church. 
We overlook all the hypocrisy and sin in the church among God's people. And we overlook that. We don't want to talk about that. But yet, we don't want to hang around those people. Jesus goes to seek to save them. Now, keep in mind, we're not Jesus. We're followers of Christ. We're still sinners saved by the grace of God. So I want to tell you, when you hang around sinners, which we're all sinners, you just need to be wise. Be wise about your limits. Be wise about that temptation. If you've got a certain temptation about certain things, you don't go there. You're wise about that. You've got to have boundaries about places you will not go. And when you go to hang out, you're not going just simply to hang out. You're going to make contact with people so you can point people to Jesus Christ. We are in this world, the Bible says, but we're not to be of this world. But we cannot reach the world if we have no contact with them. Unlike the Pharisees, what I love about Jesus here too, he did not require people to change before coming to him. He sought them out. He met them where they were. He extended the grace to them and their circumstances. And when they repented of their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ, change started to happen once they accepted Christ. Once they started to grow and understand what it means to follow Christ, change came from the inside out. You want to change behavior? You change the heart. You just tried to change the behavior with loss? That's only going to work for a little bit. You really want to change behavior? You change the heart. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads sinners to repentance. Of course, we see Jesus says, when he got criticized, why, why, are, your people eating with tax, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered him, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's the sick who need a doctor. It's the lost sheep who need a shepherd. Those who think of themselves as well, like you're not sick with sin, you're a good person, you don't see your need for the great physician, man, you're blind. It's those who think that they're okay and they're self-righteousness, they're blind. They imagine themselves to be good enough or holy enough for God to accept them just the way they are. And they trust in themselves. And because they trust in themselves, there's no room in their heart to have a relationship to trust in the Son of God. But the sick, those who are spiritually sick and they know they fall short, they know they're sinners, they know they need the Lord's healing. It's the sick who are closer to God's kingdom. They know they need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And they also know the greater the sinner, the greater the Savior. And so we see Jesus' approach at ministry, like here again, it didn't sit, how Jesus approached people, his ministry to people did not sit well with the religious folks. And they said, why? They're telling, the religious folks were telling Jesus' disciples, man, why are you guys so difficult? Why are you doing things so differently? Why are you trying to rock the boat? You know what the law says? Why, why, are you, why are you threatening the status quo? Why are you going against tradition and custom? In essence, our day would be like, Jesus, man, we, we've never done it that way. What in the world's going on? And Jesus said to them, John's disciples, so, I mean, they said to them, that's what they're saying to Jesus. I mean, they said to, to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast when he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it onto an old one. If he does, he, he would have torn the new garment. And the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine in the old wineskin. 
If he does, the new wine will burst the skin and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskin. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. So here we see fourth lesson, Jesus came to bring something new. He's letting them know that he came to bring something new. To the rejected, we show Christian love. To the helpless, we do whatever it takes to bring them to Christ. Uh, to those who are despised, man, we gotta go to them because Jesus came to bring something new. These religious leaders were criticizing Jesus for not being as religious as they were, or even John the Baptist's disciples were. They fasted, but your guys aren't. So he tells them three stories. First, the wedding. And in that story, Jesus is the bridegroom, the disciples are the guests. He says the disciples don't need to mourn when the bridegroom, Jesus, is present. They rejoice that the Messiah has come. Now is the time for rejoicing. The Messiah has come. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ is all about joy and forgiveness and peace and patience. And it's a celebration. It's a joy. And then he compares the situation to a new cloth, a new garment, and to new wine. The new garment, new clothes. He says, nobody cuts a piece of old cloth and sews it onto an old piece of cloth. In the first place, they're not going to match. And it's just going to tear up the new one. You just can't patch in the new. See, the Jews have been trying to live according to the law. And the law was there for a reason in the Old Testament. It revealed their sinfulness. It showed them their need for a savior. But the law could never make them new. That's why Jesus came to bring new clothes of righteousness. Jesus' new gospel, new gospel of grace couldn't be merged in with a work-based system of old. Jesus came to bring something new. He fulfilled the old. He is now the new. And, and like in a similar way, you just cannot try and patch a little of Jesus in your life. Just by showing up an hour or two on Sunday morning and then forgetting about Jesus the rest of your life, that ain't getting it. You can't add a little gospel along with your old sinful ways and think that it's okay. Jesus is not a vitamin you take along with your meal to help you feel better. He is the meal himself. He's called the bread of life. I say Jesus Christ is not to be just a slice of the pie of your life. Like you got slices, work life, financial life, married life, party life, recreation life, whatever, religious life. He's not just a slice in the pie, in the pie of your life. He's the whole pie, and he should affect the whole entire part of your life. I fear that there's too many in this day that want to sow a patch of the gospel onto the garment of their old life. And they want enough of Jesus to close that hole in their conscience so they can feel less guilty, so they can have fire insurance, right, when it comes to hell, but they don't want enough to clothe them to look like Jesus. And yet, Jesus did not come to decorate the old you. He came to create a whole new you in his image and in his likeness. The new wine, he says, you just can't pour in new wine. And the old wineskin, it will bust. Jesus, again, is, he's emphasizing the fact that he's come to bring something new. The new wine and the new clothes are a picture of the new gospel message that eternal life comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And there's a new day now of doing ministry. And it's through joy and celebration, not through duty and have to. It's because you want to. 
He's saying the new is the grace of God, and it's the grace of God that allows God to give us eternal life when we repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because none of us deserve that, but it's because of the grace of God. I found that when grace is present, man, life can be joyful and, and compassion and excitement. When grace is there, you have forgiveness, you have compassion, you have courage. But then when, when grace is gone, when you don't have no grace, all it is is about the law and grace is absent. You know what I find? Which I'm seeing everywhere, even in churches among pastors on, on social media. When there's no grace, it's all about finger pointing, judging, name calling, canceling. There's no room for disagreement or differences. If we disagree, we cut each other off. No longer even have relationships with each other because there's no grace. We forget what we've been forgiven of. We forget of the journey we had to travel to get to where we're at. Now, this very last verse could be confusing. He's saying, don't pour new into the old. And then look at that last, last very verse. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. And you read that and you go, what? That's confusing. But what he's saying here, I believe, is this. Those who love, he's talking to Pharisees, those who love their old rituals and love their old traditions are going to find that this new commandment of Christ to love God with everything in your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, and it's through faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, they're going to find this new way of doing ministry distasteful. They're going to prefer the old way. Because Jesus' teachings are new and different. And they're not going to be immediately accepted or like because we don't like change. Jesus came to bring something new and a new way of doing things demand that we change. We've got to change how we treat people. Man, we need to love the rejected, the helpless. We've got to show Christian love. We've got to do whatever it takes to reach them and we've got to go to them. It changes how now we are made right with God. It's not about following the laws anymore. It's about repenting of our sins and putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for forgiveness of our sin to be right with God. And once you're truly a believer in Christ, you become a Christian, your heart's changed. Now your life's gonna change and you're going to live like Christ. It's changed now how we live and how we grow. It's different, but the benefits of grace far outweigh the burden of the law. Jesus wants us to do new things in a new way. And, and this last verse kind of reminds us that this is a process though. It's a process of hearing the call of Christ and believing in him and choosing to follow him in spite of how different it, it is from what we used to be, in spite of how hard it may seem to us. We take up our cross and we follow him only to find that in the end, his way is best. It is best. This year, in the next few months, maybe in the next week, maybe even today, Jesus may call you to something that at first will make you very uncomfortable. But Jesus comes to make all things new in our lives. And you're gonna say, I've never done it that way before. And Christ, you remember who I am and what I've done? You know my past. And there's somebody, somebody else much better, much more qualified than me. But he's gonna come to you and remember, he makes all things new. And that process of newness may take a while. It's scary, it's uncomfortable. But if we receive it rather than resist it, in time we'll learn to appreciate it, embrace it, and eventually love it. I would never, ever thought I'd be doing what I'm doing now. Y'all have heard me say that. 
When my kids ask me if I wasn't a pastor, my kids would ask me, well, if you weren't a pastor, what would you be doing? And I tell them, I don't have a clue because I feel like I was made to do this. And yet I never wanted to do this. You see how God brings something new in your life and if you don't resist it, you realize you embrace it, eventually you love it. Jesus Christ, he's the mediator of the new covenant. He replaced the law, he fulfilled the law. And he's the one who's opened up for us a new and better way. And he's come to make all things new. Starting with you, starting with me. So how about you? Are you ready for something new? Word of God says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If you're in Christ, that means Christ is in you. There's been a time where you've asked God to forgive you of your sins, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you invite him in. You believed in him, you put your faith and trust in him, and now he's in you, and now you're a believer. In Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're still sinners, but we're saved by the grace of God. We're forgiven. We're children of God. Heaven's our home. He's got a purpose and a plan for our life. Old things are gone. The new has come. If you don't have a peace that that's true for you, we're going to pray right now, and you can talk to God from your heart. And if you mean business with God, he'll do business with you. He'll answer that prayer, and he'll save you. Will you pray with me? Their Father, I pray for those here today just feel lost. Maybe they feel rejected or helpless or on the outs. And I pray you soften their heart, help them know you're real, you love them, that you do want to save them, forgive them, give them a second chance. So, Father, I pray for miracles today. I pray for lost, spiritually lost people to be saved, to be found. And, Father, I pray for those here today that know they're lost but want to be found. Listen. Father, as they talk to you from their heart and say, God, I, I know I'm a sinner just like your word says. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God who died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. And today I put my faith and trust in him as the leader of my life, as the forgiver of my sins, as my Lord and Savior. Save me. And then help me to follow him the rest of my life. Father, for those who prayed that and meant that, I pray you give them a peace knowing you heard it and you answered it. And Father, I know there's others here today who are just hurting and they need to be healed. So many things have been done to them. But Father, you come to do something new. To give them a second chance, a new beginning. So, Father, help them now to, to focus on you and not their situation, not their problem, not their anger, not their pain. And just cry out and say, God, help me. You know my situation. I'm helpless, but I know you're not. And I, I, I want Jesus to do something new and alive in my life. I need a new beginning. Father, heal them. Do a miracle in their life. Answer them. And Father, I pray for many of us to be like the crew on the roof that would do whatever it takes to reach our friends and bring them to Christ. Create that passion and that burden in our life. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you stand with me as we continue to worship? The altar's always open for prayer. Feel free to come and pray. And you can pray for others, pray for the church, pray for you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. We'd be up here to pray with you also.
you're not sure heaven's your home, please come talk to us. Maybe you need baptism, we'll set that up for you. Maybe you wanna join our church, we need more workers. I tell you what, we need more warriors. We're in a spiritual battle, a spiritual fight, you come. This is God's invitation time for you.